Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, January 24th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, states sue Google for data shenanigans. Europe passes a landmark ad targeting and data law. Apple's 2022 lineup, according to Mark Gurman. A look at the state of the crypto crash and to what degree it's affecting NFTs. And all this talk of metaverses led to record VC investment in AR and VR startups. But what some folks are starting to ask is, even if we build it, do we have the infrastructure that will even allow the people to come? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Attorneys general from the District of Columbia, Texas, Washington, and Indiana are suing Google, alleging it deceived users to gain access to their location data, at least from 2014, quoting the Washington Post. The lawsuits allege the company made misleading promises about its users' ability to protect their privacy through Google account settings dating to at least 2014. The suits seek to stop Google from engaging in these practices and to fine the company. The complaints also allege the company has deployed so-called dark patterns or design tricks that can subtly influence users' decisions in ways that are advantageous for a business. The lawsuits say Google has designed its products to repeatedly nudge or pressure people to provide more and more location data, quote, inadvertently or out of frustration, end quote. The suits allege this violates various state and D.C. consumer protection laws. Google uses tricks to continuously seek to track a user's location, said D.C. Attorney General Carl A. Seen. This suit by four attorneys general on a bipartisan basis is an overdue enforcement action against a flagrant violator of privacy and the laws of our states, end quote. The complaints Monday against Google come after D.C. opened an investigation into the company in 2018. They build on a May 2020 lawsuit brought by the Arizona Attorney General that similarly argued that the company set up its Android mobile operating system in a way that enriched its advertising empire and deceived device owners about the protections actually afforded to their personal data. Some of these issues were first publicly revealed in a 2018 Associated Press report, which detailed how many Google services on both Android phones and iPhones store consumers' location data, even if they selected privacy settings intended to prevent the company from doing so, end quote. Meanwhile, in Europe, the EU Parliament passed the Digital Services Act, including provisions banning targeted ads based on highly sensitive personal data, limiting dark patterns, and more. Quoting Euractive, The DSA is horizontal legislation for the digital single market, with transparency requirements and due diligence obligations proportionate to the size of the service provider. We have an opportunity to create a new global golden standard for tech regulation that will inspire other countries and regions, said Christelle Saklamos, the leading MEP on the file. While the compromise text brokered in the leading parliamentary committee introduced some significant new elements to the original proposal, further modifications were introduced via last-minute amendments in the plenary vote. The most significant amendment was tabled by the Tracking Free Ads Coalition, a cross-party group of MEPs that pushes for a ban on targeted ads. As the bid for a total ban was not successful, a compromise was reached only to prohibit the targeting of minors. The coalition successfully passed amendments extending the limitation to sensitive personal data such as political and religious beliefs and sexual orientation at the plenary vote. Moreover, online platforms should not make denying consent for processing personal data more complex than giving it, and refusing consent should not be penalized by disabling functionalities, end quote. More of a broader summary from The Verge, quote, 
The Digital Services Act, which was first introduced in 2020, will prevent platforms like Google, Amazon, and Meta-owned Facebook from using sensitive information such as sexual orientation, race, and religion for targeted ads. It will require services to give users the ability to easily opt out of tracking and pressures platforms to remove illegal content and products online, including hate speech or counterfeit goods. The approved proposal also includes two rules that the parliament agreed on last month, a ban on both targeted ads for minors and dark patterns, a practice that some platforms use to trick users into agreeing to share their data. Any company in violation of these policies could face fines of up to 6% of its global revenue, end quote. Mark Gurman's Bloomberg newsletter this week makes the bold claim that Apple is readying the widest array of new hardware products in its history this fall. But that's because they're probably going to go cautiously this spring with their expected March or April event. Quote, It's a shoe-in that you'll see a new iPhone SE in a couple months, which will probably have a similar design to the current model, but a faster processor and 5G support. Given that the iPad Air hasn't been updated since the end of 2020, I'd say a new version of that product is also possible. Look for that device to get the A15 chip from the iPhone 13 matching the iPad Mini from last year. And this spring will mark a year since the last iPad Pro upgrade, and that model launched about a year after the 2020 version, but I don't expect the new model to arrive that quickly this time around. The 2018 iPad Pro, the last time the company revamped the device, came a year and a half after the previous model. Given the more significant changes in the pipeline for this year, I'd expect the new iPad to come later than the spring. But there's one wrinkle... Earlier this week, Russian regulatory filings were unearthed for three new iPhone models and nine new iPads. The iPhone documents probably relate to the various iterations of the SE, but nine new models would be far too many for a new iPad Air. Either there's more than just the Air on tap, or Apple filed its launches for this fall fairly early. We'll see. What else could be on the menu? I'd imagine Apple wants to bring the M1 Pro chip to another Mac in the first half of this year. That could mean a higher-end Mac Mini or iMac. But given Apple's typical strategy, I'd guess that the revamped MacBook Air and Mac Pro aren't coming until later this year. To that end, I'm told that Apple is readying the widest array of new hardware products in its history this fall. That makes sense. My back-of-the-envelope list includes four new iPhones, a low-end MacBook Pro, an updated iMac, the new Mac Pro, a revamped MacBook Air, an AirPods Pro upgrade, three Apple Watches, a low-end iPad, and iPad Pros, end quote. So I guess this fall we're going to have the busiest episode I've ever tried to do whenever that event happens. And there was one more interesting thing from the newsletter, though you'll notice that German himself shares my frustration trying to figure out what it means, quote, I know I've written this story probably half a dozen times, at least, but here we go again. Apple has lost yet another car executive. This time it's Joe Bass, who, according to his LinkedIn profile, was head of software engineering program management for Apple's car team until recently. With Bass's departure, nearly the entire Apple car management team in place just one year ago is gone. Dave Scott, Jamie Wado, Dave Rosenthal, and Benjamin Lyon all left in early 2021. Doug Field, who ran the car team, headed for the exits in September. Michael Schweckoich, who was in charge of hardware for Apple's project, soon followed. Then top engineers bolted. So where's Bass heading? You guessed it, Meta. 
along with more than 100 of his ex-Apple peers over the past several months. The wave of departures from Apple to Meta and elsewhere became so significant that Apple started doling out stock bonuses of as much as $180,000 to important contributors late last year. What does this all mean for Apple's car project? Well, it cements my theory that 2022 is a make-or-break year. If the company is set on unveiling its plans for a fully autonomous car by 2025, they're going to need to get the ball rolling with few additional mishaps or departures, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. I guess the topic Chris and I picked for this past weekend's Twitter space was well-timed. At the time of this writing, at least, the route, absolute bloodbath of technology stocks continues. But what we didn't talk about, though I probably don't have to tell you this, is the route going on in crypto, quoting Coindesk. Major cryptocurrencies fell as much as 17% in 24 hours as the crypto market followed a broader decline in U.S. stock market futures on Monday. Bitcoin, the world's largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization, fell to under $33,700 at the time of writing after trading above $34,000 in Asian morning hours. Tokens of Solana were down 17%, changing hands at $84.17. Data from analytics tool CoinGecko showed Solana was among the top performers in 2021, rising from $3 at the start of last year to over $259 in November. It's down 67% from its all-time high and 42% lower than last Monday." 
Bitcoin is now down more than half from its all-time high of more than $68,000 on November 12. The cryptocurrency industry's market cap as a whole, all the cryptocurrencies, the market cap fell to around $1.8 trillion amid a sell-off that happened last week, and it is now down to around $1.5 trillion since the weekend sell-off. I tried to get some data on how NFT prices are doing, and maybe some of you could give me individual project reports, but they seem to be holding up, at least relatively speaking. Most of the data I could find that measures things in NFT land does so by transaction volume, like this from Bitcoin.com, quote, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a myriad of digital assets have seen deep losses this week in terms of spot market value against the U.S. dollar and other fiat currencies. Despite the crypto market carnage, NFT sales continue to boom with $4.7 billion in sales since last week. The week prior, NFT sales across roughly 10 blockchain networks amounted to $2.5 billion in global sales. NFT sales volume over the last seven days has increased 81.4% according to Cryptoslam.io statistics. Out of the 10 blockchains recorded, Ethereum sales jumped 84.04% this week, while Ronin NFT sales increased by 29.99%. The third and fourth largest blockchains in terms of NFT sales, Solana and Flow, have seen sales drop this past week. Solana NFT sales are down 10.26%, and Flow NFT sales have decreased by 13.17%. However, the biggest drop in NFT sales was Polygon's 23.57% drop this past week. Theta saw a drop in sales this week, but only lost 4.56%. Last week, the NFT collection MeBits was the top contender in terms of NFT sales, and still is this week. During the last seven days, MeBits has recorded $1.9 billion in sales, up 104.4% since this time last week, end quote. Let's end today with a shot and a chaser. Here's the shot. AR and VR startups raised nearly $1.9 billion just in Q4 of 2021, more than any other quarter ever, making 2021 the second best year for AR and VR funding at nearly $3.9 billion raised. But, quoting Crunchbase, while the chatter and headlines about the metaverse certainly help, one VR company founder said he too just sees the increased interest in the space as being part of people's desire for more immersive experiences. He points to Microsoft's recently announced $70 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard as further evidence of that. Quote, the fundamental tech trend is here for those virtual worlds, he said. While it is easy and convenient to pin the venture funding increase in VR to a catchy term, like metaverse, renewed interest in the space stems from something deeper, say industry insiders. I think what you're seeing is the culmination of a 20- to 30-year struggle, said Josh Sackman, president and co-founder of Van Nuys, California-based Applied VR. Zach Lynch, managing partner at Jazz Venture Partners, which took part in Applied VR's Series B, said that when he first used VR technology in 2013, he knew it was not ready for the masses. That has changed over the years as technology has improved. Right now, we definitely think VR is something that will happen, he said, end quote. Now, here's the chaser. What if virtual worlds with immersive experiences in the metaverse or VR experiences or just, you know, more immersive gaming experiences will need far more network capacity than what is currently available in homes around the world? What might realizing that do to the bull case for the metaverse, at least in the near term? 
quoting an interesting essay this weekend by Leo Lewis in the Financial Times. All the speculative poetry of what might eventually be possible in the metaverse, say experts on the data networks that underpin its future, is jumping far ahead of a more prosaic reality. A fully working virtual world, or even just a real-time, high-definition, immersive experience, will require far, far more capacity to transmit data between the consumer and network than is currently available in homes around the world. The fantasy of the metaverse has been allowed to flourish, they add, before any meaningful debate has been had on how it will happen practically, and who, the users, the telcos, or the metaverse builders, should pay for the infrastructure. A month into the pandemic in 2020, BT's chief technology officer reassured the UK that while homeworking had increased traffic on the fixed network to a peak of 7.5 terabits per second, that was still a way off the 17.5 terabits per second that, quote, we have proved the network can handle. End quote. Nearly two years and a deluge of metaverse chatter later, and BT's breeziness is gone. The rollout of fiber broadband provides notional capacity, but the limiting factor will be the networks the telecos run over. Mark Alera, chief executive of its consumer division, blogged the day after the 25.5 terabits per second record that the company foresaw problems. He was not alone. Telcos around the world were confronting similar headaches even before the metaverse peddlers stepped up their pitch. The capacity for content, wrote Alara, is not infinite, and, quote, the exponential growth of data will in the future pass what we can reasonably be expected to build or indeed expect consumers to have to pay for, end quote. There is a temptation to read this view as a kind of digital Malthusianism, a warning that while legitimate now will ultimately be solved by tech, that may yet happen, but it will be on a far longer time frame than this generation of metaverse cheerleaders imagine, end quote. In other words, to put that in simple summary terms, even if you could flip a switch right now today and make visions of the metaverse happen, it wouldn't happen. I mean, we just ran the experiment a couple of years ago, didn't we? All we did was have people suddenly stay home and work from home and do schooling from home, and the networks made it, but only barely. And that was just for Zoom calls. Not only are we maybe years and perhaps a decade or more away from building out the infrastructure required to make fully immersive, massive digital worlds happen, there could even be some debate as to whether or not the market could support it anyway, or even if it's possible under, you know, basic laws of physics. Remember how one time I mentioned the idea that we don't see aliens, the whole Fermi paradox, because they all moved far, far away into the coldest reaches of space just to keep their computers cool. Well, one of the biggest challenges to the simulation theory is the problem that to fully replicate the reality of a universe with ultimate fidelity, you'd need, well, the entire energy resources of an entire universe to power the compute. See the problem? I'm, of course, being hyperbolic, but I'm making a point, which is this. If the pipes that were laid in Web 1.0 era made it possible to flip a switch and have the streaming video of the Web 2.0 era, who is doing the puzzling and thinking and problem solving to determine when or even if we have the infrastructure available to make Web 3 happen? Or is the idea just to underpants gnome it and then skip to the profit part?
Remember in the weekend bonus episode this weekend, I talked about that all-time high and 52-week high stock screener that I use to keep an eye on what's hot in tech? Well, this morning, guess what? There was one stock on that list. One. Progressive Insurance. Nothing else, at least in the universe of stocks I scan for, was at either a a new all-time high or even a 52-week high. So, bloodbath this morning, at least at the time of this writing, and I didn't even check on the coin charts. Fun times. Talk to you tomorrow.